As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to episode 73 of the Keith Law Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. We are back. Labor Day weekend is behind us. My guest this week will be the great Sarah Langs from MLB. She and I used to work together at ESPN. I always enjoy talking to her. We will go through some of the postseason awards races. We actually didn't have time to get to them all, but we got to a bunch of the more interesting ones. For those of you who subscribe to The Athletic, and you should, I have a new column up that went up actually on Monday, on Labor Day, about Austin Riley, a player about whom I was wrong. And his performance this year has been remarkable and impressive, and I not only did I want to talk about why he exceeded my expectations, but also give Austin and the coach who helped him the most a chance to explain their process that turned him into such a star and took a great area of weakness for him and developed it into something I would say is a strength. He's one of the more disciplined hitters in the National League right now. Even if it's not quite showing up in the walk rate, it is showing up elsewhere in the stat line. I think he's a great story. I think he's a model for a lot of other players who may be struggling with similar issues of pitch and zone recognition. And I thought it was really important to highlight how much he has worked to make himself a better player. Also, just a reminder, I will probably say this every week until we get to the holidays, but I have books out and you have people on your holiday shopping lists. The Inside Game came out in paperback earlier this year. Smart Baseball came out in paperback a few years ago. You can find them online at your favorite bookstore. You can find them at independent bookstores, which I highly recommend. And if you don't have one near you, check out bookshop.org. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by the great Sarah Langs. We were colleagues at ESPN. She is now with Major League Baseball. You can find her on Twitter at Slangs, S-L-A-N-G-S, on sports. I love that because obviously I do the same thing, right? K-Law becomes Claw, yeah. Slangs becomes Slangs. You can also find her on Twitch on Thursdays where she will also be talking fun things about baseball. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Of course. Thank you so much. Always so much fun to chat with you. Almost there. I think we have lots to talk about right now. But as we were texting earlier about this, we were talking particularly about uh, postseason awards, which uh, that's kind of looming. Um, I am not voting on anything this year, which of course I'm not because they don't want me to vote. But it means we can talk about all the awards. I am not restricted. Um, your suggestion was let's start with AL Rookie of the Year. I think that's a great idea. Um, and I don't want to spoil what you were saying on text, but I happen to agree with you that there's a pretty interesting candidate who hasn't actually played a full season, but I think has been the best rookie uh, in the American League this year. So why don't you Absolutely. make your case? Yeah. So I've been thinking about Wander Franco. I mean, this has really been growing over the course of this on base streak that he's accumulated. He's up to 36 consecutive games reaching base safely, which is just insane. He's up there with Mickey Mantle in a streak that spanned two seasons, and he's chasing Frank Robinson, who had a 43-game streak among guys under the age of 21. And of course, if we want to look to longer on base streaks, just so everybody knows, the overall record is 84 consecutive games. I was looking at that this morning. So that's why we're talking about the age-related streak here. Who had that streak? Ted Williams. 1949. Yes, 1949 Ted Williams. I got to say, like, of course it was him. That makes sense. You said 84 games and, like, that can be like Wee Willie Keeler or somebody from the 19th century. Like, that is so far longer. What is it, about 50% longer than the hitting streak record? Exactly. And I sort of expected... Before I looked, I think I knew this, but I didn't remember. And I sort of thought that it would be DiMaggio with like a couple games on either side of the hitting streak, right? Okay, he got walked in the game before, he got walked in the game after, something like that. But he does have one of the longer streaks, but it's not in that 84 range, which is just wild. But Wander has been amazing. I mean, he's been so good. I, I think it's really exciting because, and I'm sure you felt the same way, when he got called up by the Rays, it was after they were stumbling after that great May that they had had. And I was really worried that a 20-year-old kid was going to be entrusted with fixing the team's offense. And, you know, the team was very vocal about the fact that that wasn't what was going on. But you see this guy, he's the number one prospect in baseball. And I was really worried that there would be a lot of pressure on that. And to their credit and everybody else involved, It wasn't there and he got off to a little bit of a slow start. But now if you go back to when the streak started, which is right towards the end of July, that's also when they've solidified themselves as the best team in the American League. And he's been leading the way. And it's just so impressive. Everything he does is so advanced for his age. I mean, plate discipline, all the stuff that we heard about in the minors. It's really cool to see that happening at the major league level at 20 years old. And on a team that doesn't specialize in plate discipline, they're leading the American League in both strikeouts and in runs scored. I mean, they're doing this in the most raised way possible, but he's actually just an outstanding hitter. I'm impressed by how quickly his approach, which, you know, the call, one of his big calling cards in the minors, not the only reason he was first overall on every prospect list, not just my own, um, was I mean, this guy walked as much as he struck out, despite always being young for where he played. He was 17 in the Appy League, and he was he just was constantly young for everywhere he played. And that that has largely carried over to the big leagues, the low, particularly the low, low strikeout rate. I mean, you just look at where strikeout rates are right now in Major League Baseball, I just expect everybody to strike out. I'm yes. like still retraining myself. This came up with somebody who was asking about Shohei Otani the other day. You know, why hasn't, you know, why has, haven't we seen anybody, obviously he's a unicorn, but why haven't we seen anybody come close to him? And it's, you know, 10 years ago, Shohei Otani doesn't, we probably don't even give him a chance to hit because he strikes out a third of the time. Guys like that, well, you, you can't, 
you can't hit, right? You can't yeah. be a hitter. So put in that context, and one of the other rookie of the year candidates we'll talk about in a second has, has basically has this exact problem. Put in that context how seldom Wander Franco as a 20-year-old, how seldom he strikes out. He's not walking yet quite as much as he did in the Myers, but I, I really feel like that's going to come. How rarely he strikes out just makes it that much more incredible to me that he can come up from the minors in this, hey, everybody strikes out a quarter of the time environment, and he ne- and he's never striking out. And then obviously continue to produce when he puts the ball in play. And to me, that's a huge part of the case for him to be, I think, of the case for him to be rookie of the year this year. Definitely. And I think that, you know, I mean, some of the other candidates are, you know, Adolis Garcia had a really good first half. He's fallen off a little bit here in the second half. And then teammate Randy Rosarena, who I think is starting to play a little bit better. But, you know, he was always in a tough spot, I thought, because everybody was picking him for American League Rookie of the Year because of that postseason. But I also think the expectation was that he was going to do that postseason again, which is like, (laughs) you know, mathematically impossible, certainly over a full <laughs> season. So I think he's kind of in a weird spot. But, you know, I'm looking at Fangraph's war right now for rookies, uh, just position players. Mm-hmm. And Wander is fourth on the list behind yeah. Jonathan India, who is probably going to win the National League Award. Right. And then Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena. And then there's Wander. And Wander has played 59 games. And all of those guys have played 120 or more games. If you look, it's funny. I have, so as we were saying, as we were talking, I pulled up the Fangraphs leaders and the baseball reference leaders for rookies for war and uh, using the stat head tool over at baseball reference, which I highly recommend to folks. And it is exact. It's exactly that order, which is really interesting for the AL guys. I mean, what's really interesting is at baseball reference, it's 0.4 war, four tenths, two fifths. Sorry, let me got to reduce my fractions here uh, of a win difference between Rosario and Garcia are tied at 3.4 wanders at 3.0. He has played, uh, fewer than half the games of the other guys. At Fangraphs, it is a slightly larger difference, but still, it's less than a win difference. Wander has produced more than half the value of the other guys despite playing the, fewer than half the games as the other guys. Now, to me, that's good enough. That's the one award, especially, re- referring to Rookie of the Year, where I'd say, no, that's fine. Because to me, that has always been a, an award with a few times they have let me vote on it. I've always taken the forward view, right? This is, we're trying to identify a future star. To me, it has never been just about which was who was the most valuable rookie in this particular season, but also consider the fact that Wander is six years younger than a Rosary, and I think nine years, eight or nine years younger than an Adolis Garcia. That should be a factor. Wander's a superstar. He is playing like a superstar. He's on a five-war pace in what he's done. Maybe actually a little bit more. I might be shorting him on the math. Well, I guess depending on which which war you look at, but he's been absolutely amazing for somebody so young. And that's why if I had a ballot, I'd have him one. You could put the other two guys, two, three, three, two, whatever. I'm less concerned about that. To me, the wander case, um, because despite the lower amount of playing time, the age, the performance when he has played, I feel like that's enough to put him over the top. I agree. And I think that, you know, this is probably one of the awards where people look least to how the team has done. And, you know, that's a whole separate conversation. 
But being on a team that is probably going to have the best record in the American League probably does help him when you can trace so much of their bounce back to when he was called up and when he really caught fire. And then if you're comparing him to his teammate, Randy Rosarino, well, he was there all year and they weren't doing this all year. So I think that that also works in his favor. And, you know, I mean, it should absolutely be forward looking. It should be, you know, best player. And I think that having the hype and living up to it also counts for something. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is not to discount Adolis Garcia being an older rookie and Rosarena being in a very different spot as well. But Wander Franco is playing like the number one prospect. I think he deserves an award for that, you know? Yep, absolutely. I Just one last note on the AL Rookie of the Year. When Adolis Garcia got off to the huge start, as you mentioned, just given his age, track record, the horrendous plate discipline, you know, my take was, this is probably a fluke, and I think, you know, he's got a 262 on base percentage in the second half now. Most of his damage has actually come at home for Texas. Now, obviously, this isn't the old Texas ballpark where the ball really did seem to fly out. We don't really know for sure yet how this current ballpark plays. But I just see a lot of things in there in the performance this year, plus the history that we all have with him. He's been he's had cups of coffee in the majors before. We saw him a lot in the minors. I don't think this one's going to last. Good for him. Having a great season, not taking anything away. Not a player I would make a big investment in if I were Texas. I'd say we're thrilled to have this, but I think you look at him as somebody who's probably headed for a pretty big regression over a full season next year. Do you agree, disagree with that? Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it was very exciting. Again, that was May, I think, for him, all of those home runs. I think Mm -hmm. he set the Rangers rookie record for home runs in a May or in a single month, something along those lines. But you know, there's always a other shoe to drop, especially I think with older rookies. And there are certainly ones that uh, dispel that notion. You know, I'm thinking of Jacob deGrom, but that was also because of Tommy John surgery, something else. And I think, especially with a hitter, when they come up, come up at that age and are really starting to play consistently and well at that age, there's a question of why maybe. Yep. Absolutely. I'll just throw a mention in there to Luis Garcia with the Astros. He would be worth considering for lower down and about it. I'd still give it to Franco, but I think Garcia should be in that discussion. Now, the National League, you mentioned Jonathan India. I agree. He's going to win. He should win. He's going to win. To me, it really came down to a two-person race. It's him and Trevor Rogers. And Rogers missed some time, and that's probably the only argument against him at this point. He's been absolutely tremendous. I think both guys remain I, I feel very bullish on both guys going forward, but you're looking for a reason to separate the two. And I think that's probably just enough to put India ahead. But, um, you know, I think either one would be perfectly fine at the top of a ballot. And I will say it's kind of nice to see India. India had an injury affected 2019 season. He tried to play through a broken wrist or hand, didn't tell the team for a while, it really crushed his numbers. And I think the industry kind of got off him because if you went to scout him that year, he didn't look good. And stat line wasn't good. Doesn't get to play last year. It's basically the Reds saying, hey, he looked great at the alternate site. Good for them for sticking with him and giving him a major league opportunity like that when there wasn't the minor league data necessarily to support it. And it's kind of nice to see, too, a guy just throw you know a bad year and then a, an injury-plagued year and a lost year comes back and turns out to be I, – I would actually say I've liked India quite a bit, but he's even been better than I would have forecasted this year. 
Definitely. You know, I, it's funny because as he really started to catch fire around July, sort of when mm-hmm. the Reds had that turnaround, I actually remember first talking about him and I can't remember exactly what we were saying, but with you, mm-hmm. I believe on one of those trade deadline uh, shows that we did, oh, it must've sure. been 2018. It must've been soon after he was drafted, drafted, I guess that year. I just distinctly remember you talking about him. You know, it's the type of name that stands out. You remember sure. it. it's a, it's a real word, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that and realizing how long ago, that was and sort of putting all of that into context of, oh, wow. And now he's finally becoming the player he was supposed to be. So I I think that, you know, the only knock on Rogers is that time missed and awful story with his family and some COVID cases. And, you know, he absolutely did the right thing, taking that time off. There are some stories about that if anybody is interested, but a great season. And I think a really great thing for the Marlins moving forward. And so whether or not there's some hardware at the end of the year, I think that that's a really good thing as we try to envision what on earth the Marlins might look like in a year or two. And I don't know that we necessarily want more awards, but there's always a little part of me that wishes there was a rookie pitcher of the year just because they do worse. Historically, pitchers do worse in rookie of the year voting, right? To hit voters for whatever the reason we could speculate, but for whatever the reason, they favor position players. And so, you know what? Trevor Rogers, like, he should get something. Right. There's nothing wrong with say, OK, maybe he doesn't get actual hardware, but like we you and I can just declare him the NL rookie pitcher of the year. And yep. I think he's he's absolutely worthy. And God, if you're the Marlins too, the guy you were most, the, you know, a lot of people said Sixto Sanchez was their best pitching prospect coming into the year and you lose him to shoulder surgery. We don't know when he's going to be back, what he's going to look like. So I, I would imagine from their own front office perspective, if you got to lose somebody like that, Rogers is a different pitcher than he was last year. He added this slider. It's been extremely effective. He's because I think it's made all of his pitches better because you now he's got one more thing for hitters to worry about. If you're think if you're planning forward for that Marlins rotation, you you know obviously Alcantara is in it. You know Rogers is in it as another above average starter, and I think your long term outlook for that Marlins rotation remains really strong despite the loss of Sanchez from the depth chart and and Jake Eater. Obviously, just, he just had Tommy John surgery too, so they've lost a couple significant guys. But Rogers taking the big step forward has to make them feel. Uh, a bit better planning and maybe you were just saying what do the Marlins look like going forward better right yeah. I think this I think this club's on the ascendant I don't know when I'm not, you know I'm very bad at predicting timing I tend to be a year off on a lot of these guys but you know like I think the Marlins are going to get good sooner than people think yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, you know, I think we were all, I was certainly disappointed with the Sanchez injury just because he was so electric to watch last yes. year. So much fun. I think he pitched the Cubs game in the postseason that got rained out and then they played on the Friday. They weren't supposed to. I, I distinctly remember having to update his age and a note that I wrote about him. Uh, but, you know, he was so much fun. I think people had a lot of, hey, the Marlins rotation could be sneaky good type of mm-hmm. stories entering the year. And none of them really mentioned Trevor Rogers. So I think just the fact that they had some pitchers that people did start to believe in, and then you add him to the mix, as you're saying, is a really good sign for them, regardless of when they get Sixto Santos back and what he looks like. And it's really hard to predict when teams are going to become better. I mean, I feel like the Padres were probably a year early to us last year, and now they're exactly where we expect. The Blue Jays were probably a year early last year, and now they're where we expect because of their bullpen. But it does feel like there are a lot of really good beginnings going on there in Miami. So Mm -hmm. it's really great to see. I mean, I want to see them succeed because they do have exciting young players, and I want to see those guys up in the major level. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So folks who follow who don't follow you on Twitter, I will mention, Sarah is the person to go to if you want to keep track of who's atop the home run leaderboards. Obviously, everybody's hitting a billion home runs this year. Um, and that's particularly relevant when we talk about AL MVP, which I think of the, you know, of the other four awards that we have, you know, leaving aside the Rookie of the Year awards. I think that's the most interesting one because you can make arguments for a lot of guys. I have a feeling Otani's going to win because he's that unicorn. But let's set Otani aside for the moment. Can you make me an MVP case for anyone else? Like who else would you vote for? If I said, no, Otani's, he's, he's been disqualified because he's actually too good and we just shouldn't talk about him. Pick someone else. From well, it's amazing. Because the other two guys I'm going to say are complete polar opposites, except for the fact that they're close to the top of that home run leaderboard. So Mm -hmm. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has made Mm -hmm. so many strides this year. I mean, we've both talked about on various platforms at length. He's a great hitter now, right? He has become this plate discipline god, which is incredible given who his father is. No disrespect to the Hall of Famer. It's amazing (laughs) to see the Guerrero and see the swing take chart on uh, baseball savant or whatever your preferred sort of plate discipline metric is. It's pretty much him and Juan Soto right now, which is incredible when you think about it. So obviously he's hitting all those home runs. He's kind of in triple crown contention. You and I are not necessarily people to care about a triple crown, although it's a cool thing. He's probably not going to win maybe any of those categories, but he will be close. He'll be like top three in all of them. So he certainly has a strong case. And then you have Salvador Perez, which is just an incredible season to me. I mean, doing all of this as a catcher, I know he said a lot of those home runs is DH, but he's gotten a bit better defensively as people were arguing about in my mentions the other day when I tweeted about him. He's probably going to become one of just a very small list of catchers to finish at least maybe top two in home runs. You know, Mm -hmm. Johnny Bench led. I don't think Selby is going to lead. I think Otani will probably lead there. But regardless, he's going to be second or third. He could end up with more home runs than anybody who has uh, been a primary catcher in a season. That was Johnny Bench at 45. And it's just amazing to see from a guy who was injured for a while and never really harnessed all of this power all at once. So those are the two names that I would put forth initially. And I think it's amazing because they're having such different seasons other than the fact that they're hitting a lot of home runs. 
One other name I would throw in there, and he's again not. Now we're moving further down the ballot, but this is more of an academic exercise. But it's also, I know the kind of thing you and I always really like to talk about. Marcus Semyon. Yes. Like, oh my God. Yes. I mean, again, like, and Mar- this is not the first time Marcus Semyon has made me say, "Oh my God!" Right? This was a guy who I saw plenty of times as an amateur, as a minor leaguer, and. He was a bad defensive shortstop. Obviously, the, the work Ron Washington did with him, that's kind of passed into legend at this point. But then he's also become so much better of a hitter. And another guy who's come into power, I just never thought he had. In fact, I just was just looking at the leaderboards again. I'm like, wait, he has how many home runs now? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and he's getting overshadowed by the first baseman on his own team, who is obviously the, the slightly better player. But, you know, we're... There are 10 spots in an MVP ballot. I feel like Semyon should be one of those guys who's not going to win. He's not going to be first on anyone's ballot, but he should probably appear on everyone's ballot somewhere. I would believe that that's the top three, Otani, Vlad, and Semyon. I mean, despite the case I just made for Salvador Perez, I think Semyon probably has a little bit more of the more national knowledge anyway, because that team is fighting for a playoff spot. People are aware of what Salvi's doing, but probably not beyond the home runs. And Semyon, I mean, as you said, coming into power, he has a career high hard hit rate, everything else, sweet spot rate. He's just making such better contact than he ever has before. And, you know, expected stats say maybe the number should be a little bit lower, but he's doing it. And I think it's really cool to see from a guy who had that really, you know, Brian Kenny would call it a spike year in 2019 when Mm -hmm. he finished uh, top three for MVP. And I think he was the only player to start every game that year. I think that was the note with him. He was consistently there for the A's. Defense was a little bit better that year. Still, as you mentioned, not great. And then he didn't have a great 2020. And everyone was like, okay, this is more the Marcus Semien that we're expecting. So I always like to see a guy kind of follow up on one of those great years and show that it wasn't just one year. And of course, there's a storyline with the fact that the A's didn't, you know, make an offer to him and here he went to prove himself. But, you know, the position change is probably what's most impressive to me because he hadn't played second base and he went there and we're like, what's happening? Bo Bichette (laughs) is not moving positions. We know that he's a young star at the beginning of his career. And I think the willingness to do that and the confidence in oneself to say, I'm going to play a position I haven't played before. I wasn't even that great at the previous position, but I'm going to do this because I have confidence in my bat and I know that I can prove myself. I I have all the respect in the world for that. I mean, it's the Osmani Grandal thing, except he didn't switch positions, right? But taking the one year deal in Milwaukee and saying, I'm going to bet on myself because I know this is going to work. I mean, we should all aspire to that. So I just love that so much as a storyline. The uh, National League MVP race is um, also, I think, particularly interesting. Um, The and, you know, I wonder. So this came up. Let me take a step back for a second. So I wrote a piece about Austin Riley on uh on the athletic for subscribers to see austin riley's a guy i had not rated terribly highly as a prospect i had pretty real concerns about the bat speed and about the plate discipline and um he has turned he's transformed himself he's completely turned himself around i said he's probably going to appear down ballot on some mvp ballots like further down not in the top couple of spots and obviously some atlanta fans are saying why wouldn't he be higher i feel like if you just look at the leaderboards it's pretty um there are a couple of guys who are pretty clearly ahead of him. 
But separating those first few names, you know, Tatis Jr., Bryce Harper's really having an incredible season and probably getting a little bit under-noticed for it. Strange to say about Harper, but because where the Phillies are in the standings. Um, and Trey Turner, whose case would be fascinating because he's on two teams. We don't see a lot of MVP winners who do that. So I, and that's just pulling a few off. I think you can make a case for a few other guys. So why don't you tell me, so if you had an MVP ballot, where would you start well, so, at the top? It, this is such a fascinating conversation to me because it's taken on so many different sort of themes over the course of the year. We had the first two months of the year where people who want a pitcher for MVP were advocating for Jake DeGrom. But then people were saying, well, pitchers only win in a year where there isn't a standout position player. And instead mm-hmm. you have Tatis and Acuna. And then DeGrom got hurt. And then Acuna got hurt. And Tatis missed time. And we went from having like three slam dunk MVPs to sort of no definitive answer. And I really think a lot of it does come down to exactly what you're considering. I mean, I was expecting when Tatis came back from his injury the most recent time. Mm-hmm. He came back, he had two home runs in the game, he returned, which was so exciting. And I was thinking, okay, he's going to carry the Padres down the stretch and it's going to be Tatis for a combination of his outstanding season and what the team is doing. But he's kind of struggled since he came back, aside from mm-hmm. obviously that game and he's hit some home runs, but he hasn't quite been Fernando Tatis Jr. He's had a couple flashy plays in the outfield, but I think him not standing at shortstop take something away. I mean, and that's not to say that if he is an outfielder moving forward, he's not still a great player. And I know that he had a lot of errors this year and the actual defensive metrics beyond stuff like errors also didn't like him this year. But I think that he just added something to his presence on the field when he was standing at second at shortstop there. And I'm not seeing that. And that's kind of taking away from it. So, you know, then the Phillies got hot and it was, oh, it's going to be Bryce Harper because he's playing really well and the Phillies are in first place. And then they got swept by the Diamondbacks and now they're back and forth and whatever. And, you know, I love the Trey Turner argument. I wrote a story for MLB.com a couple of weeks ago about the highest finishes for anybody to change teams in a season mm. MVP because nobody mm-hmm. has ever won. The highest finish was actually second by Sal Magley in 1956. Um, And I believe he was on the Indians for like two days and then uh, got sold (laughs) off to the Dodgers and pitched really well. And that was obviously early days of Cy Young. So if you were good and you were a pitcher, you're basically getting MVP votes. So um, we've seen some top three, top four. Manny Ramirez in 2008 is the most famous example. Um, When Mm -hmm. he went from the Red Sox to the Dodgers, he hit like 400 for the Dodgers. He was outstanding. That's really impressive because he changed leagues. I think Turner, although he is second in Fangraph's war and he's up there uh, on baseball reference war as well, I don't think he's had the type of Trey Turner season that gets him that with so many other names on the list. But, you know, the other names that I look at are Juan Soto is amazing. I mean, I don't necessarily think he should win this year. I think he should have won last year, Um, Mm -hmm. but he's having an outstanding year. I think he should absolutely finish top three. But I really liked your story about Austin Riley. I was not aware of the extent to which he had changed and improved his plate discipline. Those details of how he did it, I thought those quotes were amazing in your story. And that made me even more impressed. I mean, I've been saying for about a month now, when people talk about NLMPP, to consider him. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the default for a lot of people when they see the Braves doing well, 
And they see the Braves in first place as, oh, so Freddie Freeman will get votes. And Freddie Freeman is a great player. And he had a great MVP season last year. And he's had some other great seasons that were MVP worthy. But I think Riley has been the most impressive player on that team. You know, since Acuna went down, obviously, he's not going to win. I think uh, also we we are focusing on the hitting side too. You know, Zach Wheeler statistically has actually been the most valuable player by wins above replacement in the National League, according to both. If you look at both systems, Carbon Burns is slightly ahead in Fangraphs version with Zach Wheeler second. Zach Wheeler is first by decent margin in the Baseball Reference version. I, I would say, like, I'd be completely comfortable voting for a pitcher first overall. Um, but history says it's less likely. It's not impossible. We've seen a few, but I think your your previous argument was spot on too. That tends to happen when we don't have one or more hitters who are clearly worthy. And I, I do think this year we we do have several actually. And I wonder if we'll get. Uh, this is just me talking a bit out of the air here, but um, will some narrative emerge around a player? Say that the Phillies just go off the last couple of weeks and run into a playoff spot, and Harper's a part of that. Even though Zach Wheeler would also be a part of that. Who are people likely to talk about? Who are they likely to credit? Harper. Because he'll be in it ever, because he'll be playing every night, because we'll have more of his highlights. And I feel like that, I I don't like this, but that's just the way it goes, right? That is the, whereas it used to be who had the most RBIs, now it's more, well, who has the most wins above replacement, but also had a really big September, had an impact on a playoff race. Who did I see a lot? When looking at highlights on the internet, who was Sarah Lang's talking about constantly on her Twitter feed because they're hitting a home run every other night. Yeah, there's a lot of there is a lot of Juan Soto content, which I am I am absolutely here for also. When I get asked about MVP and I'm sure you feel the same way, I end up kind of going in my head between who would I pick and Mm -hmm. who do I think will end up winning it? And that kind of gets what you're saying. You know, I think that at this point (laughs) we are good enough at understanding how the voters tend to go and it changes and the electorate changes by year. But I do want to mention two more names just as we consider down ballot. Uh, Brandon Crawford absolutely deserves top Mm -hmm. 10 MVP votes. I don't expect him to win. I don't necessarily think he should even finish top three, but the turnaround that he's had since the start of last season, completely revamping his swing and just finding power that he just didn't have. He entered this year with a 392 career slugging percentage. He's going to slug above 500 this year. And that's a credit to the Giants coaching staff. So I definitely want him on the list. And I think probably Max Muncy and or Max Scherzer also are Mm going to get some consideration. I mean, after the way Scherzer pitched last night, with 13 strikeouts and no walks and only allowing an unearned run and all that he has done in his time with the Dodgers. If the Dodgers win the division, you might be able to credit it to him more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I know that comes back to the little conversation with pitchers, but maybe there's even more of an argument there than even with someone like Wheeler. So again, that would be yep. a pitcher MVP changing teams, which we can probably guarantee will never happen. That is but not going to happen. <laughs> I think there's an argument there. So I just wanted to get some more love for a couple other guys. I think the NL, both NL awards races, you know, the MVP and the Cy Young give us such an opportunity to talk about so many great players. And I think the sport is in a great spot just for that. I agree. My guest today has been Sarah Langs. You should follow her on Twitter, S Langs on Sports, and you can see her work over at MLB or on Twitch on Thursdays. Uh, check her out. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. As I've mentioned in a couple of places recently, we have had 
COVID in the house. My wife had a breakthrough infection. She has recovered now, but it was not fun. I don't think she would recommend the experience. It was certainly quite scary for all of us. And then our two youngest, who are too young to be vaccinated, did test positive and had to quarantine. Fortunately, everyone is okay. But my God, go get that vaccine. Wear your mask. Stay distant. We're not even sure how we got it into the house, but nobody needs to go through that. And the more of us we get vaccinated, the better chance that you don't have to go through that too. So please, if you're still hesitating, reach out to me. I am happy to answer your questions, but we need as many people to get that vaccine as we can. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.